Welcome to the St. John's Hoxton podcast. We are a local church in East London, here to be a beacon of hope for Hoxton. And our mission is to worship God, make disciples, share Jesus and transform Hoxton. It was Easter last week, in case you've forgotten, when we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus. We celebrated Jesus defeating sin, meaning we can have forgiveness and a restored relationship with God. And the readings we heard today are the set ones. So across the country, in fact, across the world, those readings will be read in churches. And all of the readings after Easter, Easter season, are about resurrection life. What does it look like to live in light of the resurrection? So that is what we're going to be thinking a bit about uh, this morning. What does life look like? Let's pray. Father, thank you for bringing us together today through the means of technology, through physical presence with each other. Lord, thank you that you are with us. And Lord, as we think about what life looks like with you after the resurrection, I pray that you would be speaking to us. Would our hearts and our minds be open to what you have to say? Lord, would my words be clear? And would your spirit be at work in us? Amen. So the the end of that passage that Fiona read, John 20, um, verses 30 and 31, they are some of my favorite verses in the Bible. I have a lot of favorite verses in the Bible, um, but I really like these. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. I really like it because it, It's quite blunt. There's no hidden agenda. John's saying, this is why I've written this book. So you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah and you might have life in his name. There is no hidden agenda. Sometimes we can be a bit nervous, I think, about talking to people about our faith or people are nervous about talking to us about our faith because they think there might be a bit of a hidden agenda. but verses like this, I think, sometimes give us freedom to just be like, no, no, I'm, I'm telling you this. I want to talk to you about Jesus because I think it is the best news in the world. Um, and I think we can have boldness to, to say that. What John says here is that life is dependent on belief. You have life in his name, but you do need to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. But what does life look like in the light of the resurrection? I've gone for a cheesy sermon hook today, and there are four points, and they begin with L-I-F-E, life. There you go. It is cheesy, but hopefully it'll help you to remember some of the attributes about what does resurrection life look like. They're not everything that we could cover, uh, but some of the things we see in both these passages. So L, lived out. Our belief in Jesus is life that is lived out. Faith, it's not just head knowledge. It impacts how we live. I don't know how prevalent it is. I'm, I'm a millennial. I live in kind of postmodern world. And I think there is a move now away from that kind of personal faith. There's a, I think there is a move towards if you've got faith, you own it and you live it out. But for quite a long time, there was very much this idea if you had faith, it was a personal, it was a private thing. No one else need know. 
But actually, that's not really what the Bible tells us. The Bible says that if we've got faith, we live it out. It impacts our attitudes, our approaches. We should be people of peace. It's one of the things Jesus says when he comes to the disciples, have peace. Peace be with you. Again, he says, peace be with you. We should have joy. We should have unity. We should forgive others. We should look different to the culture around us because of what we believe. The early church, because of its beliefs, looked radically different. They treated slaves and women completely differently from the way that culture around them treated them. They crossed ethnic divides in a way that was like unheard of at that time. They had a different approach to possessions. Our faith impacts in how we live in practical ways. The people that we eat with, the jobs we pursue, what we do with our possessions. And don't hear me wrong, it's not that we have to do anything in order to be saved, other than believe that Jesus is our saviour. That's the, that's the one thing we need to do. Believe that Jesus is our saviour and we are saved. We don't have to earn our salvation in any way, but our belief will impact our lives. James uh, Chapter 2, verse 18 says this, in the argument of going, well, I don't, need to, I don't need to do anything, I don't need to show you anything because my, I've got faith. He says, show me your faith without works and I will show you faith by my works. In other words, if you say you've got faith, I should be able to look at your life and see evidence of it. In how we speak, how we act, how we live. So our faith is lived out. I, interdependent, that was a big word to come up with, but this is not something we particularly like to think of, um, at least in white western society, uh, individuality is king, it, like from childhood we're kind of trained that we should be self-sufficient, or at least give the illusion of being self-sufficient, and I think one of the outcomes of last year, the pandemic, is realising just how interdependent we actually are. Now, that has come with fear. When it relates to virus transmission, that's quite a scary thing because we suddenly realise how many people we kind of can be in contact with at any given time or if we're in the shop, whatever. But the positive side of that is realising that we are interconnected, we are interdependent. How many people does it take to get food to your kitchen? It's hundreds, isn't it? From the growers, the, the shippers, the distributors, the packages, the people who deliver it. The people who work in the shops, stacking shelves. It is a positive thing. We're not meant to be alone. God exists in the community of Father, Son and Spirit. And we are made in that image. We are meant to be connected. We're meant to be interdependent. This week we've been reminded of a, a recent example of this with Prince Philip. He spent years putting the needs of his wife and the country first. In 1997, the Queen said this, he has quite simply been my strength and stay all these years, and I and his whole family and this and many other countries owe him a debt greater than he would ever claim or we shall ever know. Now, the Queen is a remarkable woman, but how much of her service has been enabled by the support of her husband? 
They were interdependent. Interdependence is essential for healthy marriages, for families, and for communities. We lie to ourselves and we do ourselves a disservice when we try to pretend that we can live alone and in isolation. And we see in Acts a radical living out of that. It says that the believers are of one mind. I can just find the page. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Now, when I was looking at commentaries about this, um, they, they were all quite clear. When it says they were of one mind and heart, doesn't mean they didn't necessarily disagree, ever. We actually only need to skip to chapter 6. So a, a chapter and a bit later in Acts in the early church, and we can see disagreements are arising. But having a common mind, one uh, commentator said it was more about regarding each, other need, each other's needs. As we regard each other's needs, then we start to have one heart and mind. A guy called Robert Wall says this, to the extent we come to value others and what they need more than we do our possessions and what we want, we will come to think of what we own as common property. And it taps into that idea of interdependence, especially possessions. Possessions have power or symbols of power. If I have everything I possibly need, I don't need to depend on you for anything. But if I've got some stuff, I might need to go to you and say, oh, I need a stepladder. Can I borrow a stepladder? Or have you got a food mixer that I can borrow for a week or two? Suddenly, I'm making myself vulnerable. I'm making my needs, and they're the trivial things, but I'm making my needs known to you and relying on you just a little bit more. And so in Acts, we see this very practical um, interdependencies in goods and possessions. Tom Wright says, what you do with money and possessions declares loudly what sort of community you are. Are we a community of generosity, uh, of unity? We're a community that looks out for the needs of others. And just a little note, it's quite a subtle thing on this. There was no needy person among them. And again, I think it was Tom Wright pointed out that that is needy, is the word, not poor. And you might go, oh, that doesn't, that doesn't make much difference. But actually, in the context of what they were, they were talking about here, you've got a whole bunch of people have traveled to Jerusalem. They've heard the good news of Jesus. And some of them have then stayed in Jerusalem have become Christians, become believers, and have stayed in that community as they learn, as they discover more about what that is. There's no bank transfer in that day, so they might have money and wealth over here where they lived, but they're currently over here, and they've spent all their money because they've been um, living in Jerusalem longer than they're expecting, and so suddenly they find themselves in need. So yes, some of the people would have been poor, but it's not just poor. And I think that is a particular challenge to those of us who find ourselves in society slightly more comfortable than others. Because sometimes we can be, I will serve you, I will be generous to you, but I don't need anything from you because I'm fine, I'm not poor, I'm comfortable, I'm well off. 
but actually generosity goes both ways. Because if it's a blessing for me to give to someone else, why would I deprive them of the opportunity to bless me in return by giving to me? Now, that might not be financial. That might be time. That might be a a rich conversation. Um, That can be a whole different ways. It might not be transactional. It might not be that individual, but it might be someone else. But again, we see that interdependence. We have to be generous both ways, both in giving and receiving. And so I think that word there, needy, how often are we needy? We might not be financially needy, but we might be needy in other ways. That speaks to us. It's not a them and us, it's just an us statement. So that was I. F, faith-filled. I'm going to skip back to John, um, the passage from John, and think a bit about Thomas. Now, Thomas, he gets quite a bad reputation often. He's known as Thomas the Doubter. And he demanded evidence. He wasn't there, and we don't know why, but for some reason, he wasn't with the disciples on that first kind of Easter Sunday in the evening. Maybe he'd gone out to get some food. Maybe he'd gone to see his family. We don't know. We don't know. But Jesus appears to the disciples and Thomas isn't there. And so he misses it. How gutting would that be? So later he turns up and the disciples are like, Jesus appeared to us. And Thomas goes, I don't believe it. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were, put my finger in his side, I will not believe. I want hard evidence. And sometimes we can look down on Thomas because we're like, oh, we should have had more faith. As if we probably wouldn't have done the same thing if our friends had come to us and said, Jesus is alive. You go, oh, you're telling me to believe something that has literally never happened in the history of existence. I want a little bit more evidence than that. Thank you very much. I I would be with Thomas, I think. But what's really important to notice is what Jesus does. Jesus doesn't condemn Thomas for wanting more evidence. When when he sees Thomas a week later, he says, here's my hand, here's my side. Here's what you need to believe in me. And it speaks to me that there is space for those who've got questions. That's why things like Alpha are great, because it's space for people to have questions. It's okay to ask questions. Not just before you become a Christian, but after you've become a Christian as well. I think sometimes we have more questions after we've decided to follow Jesus than we did before. And it's okay to ask those questions. There's also an encouragement for those who do believe without seeing. Jesus says, because you've seen me, you believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. That's a good encouragement for me. None of us, I believe, have seen Jesus face to face and yet we believe there is a blessing for us. And something else I hadn't realised until I looked into this passage a little bit more is when Thomas says, my Lord and my God. I go, oh, that's nice, yes, obvious. But in John's gospel, he is the very first person that directly calls Jesus God. Yes, he doubted. Yes, he had questions. But then he had faith. And he looked at Jesus and he says, you're God. 
Other people had used other titles, a kind of implied God, but the direct use of the word God for Jesus. Thomas is the first one to do that. And we should probably give him a little bit more credit for that than we often do. Thomas became full of faith. And clearly the early church was full of faith because they wouldn't have held firm in the way that they did in the face of persecutions and oppressions and um, just obstacles. And the final bit, E, enabled by the Spirit. Again in John, John says that Jesus breathed the Holy Spirit onto his disciples Like God spoke creation into being, like he breathed life into Adam, Jesus now breathes the Holy Spirit, breathes new life into the disciples. And before Jesus had died, he had, um, they're called the farewell discourses in John, this sort of chapters 13 to 16. It's like the Last Supper, um, Jesus speaks a lot to his disciples. And in those discourses, he promises life of joy and peace guided by the Holy Spirit. The life that we are meant to live out in kind of resurrection, in the light of the resurrection, can only happen with the Holy Spirit. Back in Acts, they are living out a true covenant community. There's a covenant promise of renewal that dates back to the right at the start of the scriptures. In Deuteronomy, it says that there will be no needy people among you. There's a reason John um, Luke uses the same uh, phrase in his writing of Acts. And the community of goods, this sharing of belongings and possessions is only possible by the Holy Spirit's power. We just think for a moment, how hard do you find it to give up stuff or to share your stuff? It's so countercultural to what we're used to, perhaps even more so now than it was for them. It's so countercultural being independent, showing our vulnerabilities, asking for help. As I said, it's not necessarily about poor, but it's about need. Do we ask for help? Sometimes we can only ask for help by the power of the Holy Spirit. And again, it's not something that we do. We can't live this life on our own. We can't live it in our strength. We might get a bit of the way, but we won't get all the way on our own. We need the Holy Spirit's power to bring us peace and joy, to work powerful signs in our communities. And one of the most powerful signs is how we treat each other. Robert Wall again, he says, the spirit's life within the community of disciples in the Lord's absence will help shape and fortify relationships between them that will cultivate faith and bring others to faith. The spirit helps us to treat one another in a way that increases our faith, but also looks attractive to other people looking in. They go, I want some of that. I want to be part of that community. That looks good. Something different's happening there. And they get drawn into faith as well. So there's just four things to kind of think about. What does life look like in light of the resurrection? It's lived out. It's interdependent. It's faith-filled. And it's enabled by the Holy Spirit.
Thanks for listening to the St. John's Hoxton podcast. New talks will be uploaded every week from all of our services. And do check out our website, stjohnshoxton.org.uk, for more information.